0: Father, it is a challenge at times uh, just just to make it to church. And these folks fought the battle and they won. Lord, I would pray this morning uh, that they would recognize that they're not alone in this, Uh, that there's a room full of people here with them who are for them, who want to see them succeed. Uh, But Lord, it's not just this room, that all over the planet, there are people gathered together today, hoping and praying to hear from you. Uh, that they can glorify you and that they can worship you. Uh, Lord, this morning I think of Destiny Church on the other side of town, Pastor Rick McGraw, and uh, Lord, I would pray for their ministry, that the people of that church would uh, not be uh, feeling as if they're alone, but they would recognize that they're part of the greater body of Christ. Uh, Lord, would you edify and build up the people of that church? Would you uh, allow Pastor Rick to have the strength to do ministry, Lord? That, uh, I think one of the things that sometimes gets forgot is that... Uh, Life's not always easy for those in ministry. I pray that you would help him to bear under the burden of not just the things that happen in his life, but the burden that he feels uh, for all the people in his church and for all the families and for all the illnesses and for all the broken relationships. Father, I would pray also uh, for the ministries that we get to send out of this church. I pray specifically for Anna Davis and uh, the ministry that she does with Youth with a Mission and the Uh, the years upon years upon years of dedicated service to teaching missionaries how to preach the Bible in a verse-by-verse fashion. And Lord, the impact of that ministry, I can't even begin to imagine. Uh, But I thank you. I know, Lord, that she has also uh, run herself to a place of physical exhaustion and that she's uh, here now resting up, that she has a bit of a sabbatical, but she also has some uh, medical things ahead of her as she heads out to the Mayo Clinic to try to sort some of that out. And Uh, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen her, that she would find answers, uh, that she would be able to continue to run this race, and that you would be able to continue to use her uh, in ministry however you see fit. Father, I thank you for the people in our church that minister uh, day by day. It's not just on Sundays, but every day of the week there's people gathered in our church serving uh, in one way or another. This morning I pray for Lori Pock and for the work that her and her family does in uh, taking care of our food pantry, Lord. I know that she invests. Uh, her own time, her own energy, and at times her own money uh, into making sure there's food in there, that it's stocked and it's ready to go for people. Uh, I know that within that ministry, there are various other people. Uh, We have a few folks that come in and and actually bring people to the food pantry that uh, sit and wait for people on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays to take them back there. We have people that donate food, Uh, Lord. Each one of them plays an integral part in ministering to the, the needs of the city of Cheyenne. And then, Lord, for us as well, I would pray uh, this morning that you would build us up with your word, uh, that your word would do all the pruning and all the surgical work on our hearts to uh, diagnose and to cure us of the struggles that we have, the difficulties that we see in this world, that your word would be a guide for us and a lamp for us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, hopefully everybody is doing well this morning. and. If you're not, I'm sorry about that, and I would love to have the elders pray for you after service, so if you're struggling, uh, don't be afraid to grab one of those elders. Uh, Raise your hand if you need a Bible. We'll take you to John chapter 15. Uh, Jerry did a great job last week. I was able to listen online because I was out of town, so Jerry and John 14 last week. uh, He and I are slightly different. I'm a kind of calm, cool, collected, some would say monotone teacher, (laughs) Uh, and Jerry is like everything's exciting and just go, go get them type preacher type guy. And so uh, I think it's good to have that change up from time to time to really just get us used to uh, different styles, but also to hear the word from different perspectives. And so I enjoyed that. Uh, but we're going to be in John 15 today as we continue on. What I want to remind you, though, about John uh, 15 is that it's in the greater connection to this one evening, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and really going into 18, it's all happening within one specific time frame. It's a very short time frame. And so uh, we want to be careful to not separate 15 out as if it's its own thing. All of these chapters kind of weave together. Uh, it is uh, what is known as Passover is the time of year. The people of the nation of Israel all together to celebrate that Passover uh, feast. It's a reminder to them, Uh, that God brought them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. Of course, uh, the symbolism is pretty powerful as Jesus is about to be crucified, paying the price for our sins to take us out of the slavery and bondage, not of Egypt, but the slavery and bondage of sin, and not to bring us into Canaan, the promised land, but to ultimately bring us into the heavenly promised land. And so all of that kind of plays together uh, when we get to John chapter 15, His audience is actually 11 of his apostles. The 12th one, Judas, has already skipped town. He's off to betray Jesus. He's off to cause havoc, Uh, but havoc according to God's will and according to God's plan. It's uh, something that didn't catch God uh, off guard. When we get to chapter 15 here, we're also going to see what is the seventh I am statement. Uh, We've been following these various things in the gospel of John. We Followed the thought of believe, because John said that this was written so that you may believe. Uh, we followed this strain of uh, great uh, miraculous moments of Jesus. And so we have these seven miraculous signs that Jesus performed. And now we're going to have the last of the seven I am statements. So Jesus has proclaimed himself the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection in the life, the way, the truth in the life and then now Jesus is going to declare himself the vine. Uh, many of you know this passage, this, this idea where Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. So it'll sound very familiar to you, but don't let the familiarity uh, chase you away from grasping the importance of the meaning. Sometimes what we're familiar with, we kind of just take a half-hearted approach to, oh, I've already heard this. Oh, I already know this one. Uh, I do this all the time. Uh, sometimes Uh, I don't know why, but if somebody's telling a joke, pretty much I've probably heard it because I'm crazy like that, but I almost ruin it for them. Like I I could just easily just say, oh yeah, tell me your joke, even though I already know the joke, I already know when to laugh, and at the end I just do a ha ha, I get it, I've heard it before. But let's not do that with God and with his word. It's still powerful. That's what's amazing to me as I go through this. This is, you know, actually my third time... Uh, Well, technically fourth time, because I once had to teach it on a mission field, but my third or fourth time through the Gospel of John. uh, This is not new for me to teach this, uh, but every time something different stands out to me and is important. Uh, In this particular passage, we're going to learn that if you abide in the love of Jesus, you will bear the same fruit as Jesus. If you abide in the love of Jesus, you'll begin to bear the same fruit as Jesus. And we'll see what that fruit is As we go through this passage as well. But uh, let me begin uh, just by reading what is really a parable here uh, to describe Jesus' relationship with us as his disciples. He says this He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Now, Uh, The parable is a pretty simple one. You don't have to be uh, an agricultural expert. You don't have to be a farmer to understand it. Uh, It's only the branches that are still attached to the tree that will bear fruit. That's the idea. Nobody cuts a branch off, throws it off on the ground, and then comes and checks it in six months to see if there's an apple there. Nobody does that. You don't have to know very much about how science works to realize that's not going to work. But in this parable, Jesus is going to give us three different people and how they're represented in this idea of bearing fruit through the vine. Uh, The first one is he says, I am the vine. Jesus is claiming that he is the vine. His father, that's God the father, is the vine dresser, that's the gardener uh, that's the person who comes through and prunes and cleans off all the branches and gets rid of the weeds and all that kind of stuff. And then the third person on this is going to be us. We are the branches. And so if you can imagine it in that sense, uh, I prefer the, the idea of a tree because that makes more sense to what I would see in an everyday uh, location. I'm, I don't have a vineyard um, I don't want a vineyard either, by the way, in case anybody's curious. That just seems like a lot of work. Uh, but I do have a lot of trees in my yard, and those trees have branches attached to them. And the vine dresser at my house is Sheila. She's the one that prunes all the trees, right? She's the one that goes through. She actually did this great thing for me in Caleb last year. Um, she went through and took the branches off all the way up to six foot on all of our trees, which sounds like, why would you do that? But tell me this, when you're mowing, it's so nice to have those branches up this high so you're not down there trying to push the mower around there. But anyway, in this case, the vine, the vine dresser, the one who prunes or cleans, is God the Father. Jesus is the, the vine and we are the branches, or I would say Jesus is the tree. Now, there's a cool little symbolic thing here that you're not noticing right away, unless you've maybe heard me preach on this before. Uh, but in the temple... They have the candlesticks that are vines with the various branches, and that candlestick is filled with oil, which represents the Holy Spirit, and then that's where the, the flame comes through. And so in that same picture, Jesus could almost be saying something like, hey, when you look in the, in the temple and you see that candlestick, where we would what do we call that? The menorah. Thank you. Words. Anyway. <laughs> um, the candlestick, the menorah, and you see that... Main branch, that would be representative of Jesus, and then the branches coming off of that would be representative of us, the followers of Jesus, and as they're connected, the oil flowing through them then allows them to have the flame. If there's no connection there, all of that uh, makes perfect sense to us. Here's the part that caught me different this time, and maybe I've seen it before, but uh, it certainly stuck out to me very clearly this time. I think when I've read through this passage before, I have read verse 3 really fast and just tried to ignore it. Because there's this weird thing that happens here that, you know, and again, I didn't notice it before, or maybe I did and I've forgotten it, which is perfectly uh, possible that I've forgotten something. But uh, what's happening in here is it starts general, and then it's going to get specific. It's going to say, we, you. He, us. It's going to have this general to specific, and that's what happens here. Verses 1 and 2, very general. Verse 3 gets specific, though, you. He's directing it to. But what I hadn't noticed before, in verse 2, it says that God prunes so that you bear more fruit. And then in the New American Standard, in verse 3, it says you are already clean, but it's the same Greek word as prune. You, speaking to his 11 disciples, and I would like to hope, speaking forward in history to all of his future disciples, God prunes, but he says, you are already cleaned of excess branches. You have already been pruned by God the Father. And how did that pruning happen? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now that for me is exciting Because what do I do for a living, right? Like, I'm all about this book. It's this word that God uses to prune or to clean me. He goes through the process of taking off the rough edges. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to turn there because I always butcher it when I try to say it, and I miss important pieces of it. Uh, But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it's this great verse that most of you have heard, but I just want you to hear it again in light of this Where we have God the Father pruning or cleaning us, those who are attached to Jesus Christ, who are abiding in him. It says this in verse 12 of Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, Said a different way, the Word of God does surgery in our life. The Word of God prunes us. That's what's happened here. So he's saying to the disciples, God's already been doing the pruning work in your life through his Word, and I think we can find this out from personal experience. When we avoid his Word, we start to struggle with him and the things he would have us to do. But when we're in his word, he's constantly doing something in us and through us. There's a great quote. I don't know who came up with it originally. I've heard several preachers proclaim it as their own. But uh, so it means somebody really good must have said it if lots of preachers have claimed it as their own. Uh, But it's this, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book in reference to the scriptures. And it's that same idea here that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, it's my word. It's my word that cleaned you. It's my word that's pruning all of these things away. Or as Paul said, or I'm sorry, the unknown author of Hebrews says it uh, in chapter four. Uh, he says, it's the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides all the way down to soul and spirit. I mean, it's just this powerful picture of the Word of God doing work in the life of the people of God. Uh, Too many times I've run across people who are struggling in their faith, struggling in their faith, struggling in their faith. And then you ask them, well, what are you doing about it? Are you in the Word? I'm just struggling too much to be in the Word right now. Maybe you're struggling because you're not in the Word right now. We need these constant reminders. So that's God the Father God the Son is the vine, we're the branches, and that's where verse 5 kicks in. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now there's two keys to this that we have to pull away. Number one, the key is we have to figure out what this means to abide. And then the second thing is we have to define what the fruit is that we're going to bear in our life. Uh, The first thing, this idea of abiding is important. The word abide just means to stay. To stay uh, in a given place, to stay in a given state of mind or relationship, to stay in a, in a in a place of expectancy. It's to continue on. It's to dwell. It's to endure. It's to remain. It's all of the thesaurus for the word, right? Abide. It's all of those different things. Uh, whereas I like to think of it this way, just don't give up. Just don't give up. Just persevere through things to just remain in him and I've described this to you guys many times in my own life I go through these cycles just like everybody else where there's ups and downs but somewhere along the line the ups and downs of my life started uh, stopped impacting my faith in other words it didn't matter if my life was in an up or a down my faith in Jesus Christ remained the same And I got off of that roller coaster of saying, I'm having a bad day today, so my faith is shot. Or I'm having a great day today, isn't God good? I've just gotten to the point where I just give God the benefit of the doubt regardless of my circumstances. And for me, that hasn't solved any of my problems, but it's given me an absolute freedom to trust in God regardless of what happens. To say, just like that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, to just say it doesn't matter what's going on in my life or the life of others. Uh, Let me just share uh, just briefly, um, I'm having some voice problems today. Uh, They are all self-induced. I wish I could say it was for good reasons, but it's not. Uh, I was allowing some things that were happening, not even in my life. uh, You know, one of the difficulties of ministry, you get to hear all the horrible things that are going on in the life of all the other people around you. And uh, this Friday, I had heard just about enough of everybody else's bad stuff. Uh, Not that I didn't want to hear their stuff. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with them. It was just, you kind of get to the point where you can't handle anything else anymore. And so I'm doing the screaming at the top of my lungs. I don't scream anything important. I don't scream words. I just literally, ah! Nope, still stressed, ah! And I let about three of those out while I was driving home, hoping nobody else could hear because I've got the car. I'm in the car. I'm in the cone of silence, right? Which is different than the cone of shame. That's a whole other thing. But the cone of silence, I'm in there. It's okay. Screaming at the top of my lungs. And then I get home and I'm talking like this. And she was like, Are you sick? No, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> she asked me like three times before I had to confess to her. So I might as well confess to all you guys, right? I was just overwhelmed by all the difficulties that we see around us. And I just had to like, ah! But not once in that scream did I think to myself, I'm done with you, God. I can't handle everybody's problems. I can't. But you can stack all of the problems of the world up on one side and you can stack God up on the other side and I will always trust in Him no matter how many problems there are stacked up over here. I'm going to abide in Him. I have to. I have to. He's all that I have. He's all that there is. That's it. All this other stuff Satan tries to use to drag you down. But I say abide. I say remain. Continue on with Him. Endure. Stay steadfast. Persevere. Do not allow anything to move you away from your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. And every one of those things that attempts to do so, just remind yourself that God has shown himself faithful enough time and time again that even though I can't see it yet this time, he gets the benefit of the doubt. Because from the beginning of time, he's been proving himself to be true. And whatever the problem or difficulty in your life or somebody else's life is, it's not a new one to him. Every one of those is hard in the moment, but temporary in light of the eternity that we have in Jesus Christ. We abide in him. We remain. We don't give up. And as we do that, it says we will bear much fruit. Now, what does that mean? Like an apple tree bears apples. Yeah, good. (laughs) Right? A pear tree. I'm assuming pears grow on trees. What do I know? I'm not a... (laughs) Agriculturitarian. Um <laughs> they bear pears. Bear pears. Oh, look at that. If they bear two of them, they bear a pair of pears. Banana tree bears bananas. What does a Christian tree, a Jesus tree bear? You bear the same things that Jesus did. It's interesting as you go through the pictures of Scripture and you look at the word fruit and you see the different things that are described as fruit, they could easily be described as the character traits of Jesus Christ. Well, the first one is the obvious one that everybody knows, the fruit of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, or in whatever order the Bible says, not the one I said it. But really close to that, these nine the fruit of the Spirit. Some will argue, is it the fruit, these nine things, or the fruits of the Spirit, whatever, nine characteristics that are listed out there. These things become yours, and they become more and more and more in your life. I can say very clearly that any love that I have is completely multiplied because I first learned love from my Savior, Jesus Christ. Any joy, any peace, any patience, all of those things, any self-control that I have, those things are multiplied in my life because of Jesus Christ being in my life. It's well beyond what I think I could have been apart from Him. And it's not just because I have a low self-opinion of myself. I just know myself really well. These various fruits of the Spirit, it is the Spirit of God indwelling us bearing fruit in our life as you abide in jesus christ you will bear the fruit of the spirit as you remain in him as you hope in him as you say steadfast in the things of jesus Uh, another interesting one is in ephesians chapter 5 verse 9 there's three things listed out there Uh, in ephesians 5 9 it says there's goodness righteousness and truth the fruit of goodness righteousness and truth There's some connections there between the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, But I love this one, righteousness. You'll bear the fruit of righteousness. What's interesting is that one actually comes up in about four other passages. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness. It comes up kind of repeatedly. Again, not righteous because I've done everything perfectly, but because I'm in Jesus Christ, I have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to my life. So there's that universal righteousness applied to me, but there's also this change of my heart and my attitude. As I abide in Christ, I begin to live more like my life begins to match up more with who he sees me as. It's this process of progressive sanctification that's happening where I'm more and more becoming like him. I'm being more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's this righteousness that comes through. And then lastly, uh, I will say this one in Colossians chapter 1 uh, in verse 10. We then have the, the fruit of works. In other words, you're going to do stuff. The fruit of works. When I was uh, hanging out with my family uh, about a year ago, my nephew, uh, seven I think at the time, and we're playing this game, I forget what it's called, but it's a lot like charades, only it's on a timer, like you got to go fast and the little card will just drop and you've lost your word and you have to move on to the next one. And so it's his turn and, and we've picked words that are appropriate to his age. We've picked the easy ones for him to do. We're so excited. He starts that timer and he goes, like what, right turn? What does this mean? Punch? What are you doing? And he's just going, no! But he can't talk, so he just keeps... Doing that over and over and over, and he was not getting off. He wasn't going to let this one pass, nothing like that, because he knew that he had the perfect thing, right? What on earth? What is that? The timer stops, and he goes, branch! I'm a branch! But it's kind of that perfect illustration, right? Like this is no good unless it's attached to the tree. He could have done this, right? But he would have been a dead branch. (laughs) But he just sticks that arm out just so proud because he was a branch. (laughs) Sometimes in Scripture we're called sheep and people kind of get offended by that. You know, I don't want to be a sheeple. Sheep are dumb. Sheep fall in ravines. Get eaten by wolves. Why would I want to be a sheep? Okay, you can be a stick. How's that? But again, it's that perfect illustration. It's that connection to the Savior, Jesus Christ, that allows us to bear fruit. Verses 7 and 8, I'm going to read again just so it sticks in your mind, but I'm not going to come back to that until we get to verse 16. I've already read these once, but I just want you to see that there is a connection between seven, eight, and sixteen, which will make seven and eight more make a little bit more sense, I think. But he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's the Cadillac passage right there. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. But we're gonna continue on. We'll pick that back up when we get to verse sixteen. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Uh, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that you may know so, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Now, this is that repeated theme that we first picked up in John 13, this new commandment of Jesus Christ in John 13, verse 34, where he commands you to love one another. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He picks it up again in verse 9 through 17. He says, look, the Father loved me. I've loved you. Abide, which we've already discovered means stay, remain, do not leave, don't give up, persevere in. Abide in my love. That's Jesus' love for you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do you keep in God's love. How do you abide in God's love? We're in the love of Jesus Christ. It says by keeping his commandments. And then in verse 12, he tells you, and this is my commandment that you love one another. Now, there is a contextual question that I have every time I get to this passage. When Jesus speaking to the 11 tells them to love one another, is he saying that this new commandment that he gives is that they love only one another? Because that would be the most obvious meaning of the passage, right? He's speaking to the 11. He says, love one another. So would be, by, by implication, he would be saying to the 11 of them, not Judas, he already went bye-bye, but the 11 that are left, hey, love one another. Jesus is about to leave this earth. He's about to die. He's leaving these people he's invested his life in. He knows what's ahead of them. Every one of them is going to die a martyr's death. They're going to have a horrible, difficult challenge in being ministers of the grace of Jesus Christ. He knows what's ahead of them. And he says to them, love one another. But we also have to connect that to the greater teachings of Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But what is the second? He said, it's just like that. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. This repeated theme of love that Jesus has is important for us as Christians. The way that we evidence that we're in the love of God is that we share that love with other people. That as we love others, it helps us to abide, to remain in God's love. Now, I don't want you to see this in the way that some people want to see this. Some people want to see it this way. I'm being a good, loving, kind Christian. I'm in God's good grace today. Then I do something horrible. God no longer loves me. But then I do something nice again. God loves me again. That's a relief. But then I do something bad again. God doesn't love me anymore. But then I do something nice again. And they have this mentality that they somehow are earning or deserving God's love. That's the exact opposite of what we see in the rest of Scripture. The idea here is not that you can never fail, you can never make a bad decision, but the idea here is that you would continually go back to the right thing, that you would continually return to that one right thing, that you would love as you have been loved. In John chapter 13, we defined the love of Jesus. He told them to love like he loves. Uh, We defined it in John 13 as loving people all the way to the end, loving them by serving them, loving them regardless of what their rank or position is, and to love them through patient endurance of betrayal and rejection. To love them through all of these things. And now Jesus is going to up the game one more time here in John 15, where he says, and no greater love is this, that a man would give his life for his friends. And you are my friends, he says to his disciples. No greater love. Uh, Love is quite simply defined in this sense as surrendering yourself for somebody else. It's an interesting thing that I like to do in premarital counseling. I like to take people through that idea of love in premarital counseling because you should when you marry somebody, love them. Just hint for anybody that's curious, free marriage advice today. You should probably love the person you're married to. But beyond that, I take him through all these definitions of love, and I explain how Jesus uses that as that perfect picture in the book of Ephesians, that we would love so much that we would be like Jesus Christ, we would surrender our life, and I always have to stop and explain to the men, this could certainly mean in a blaze of glory. And the guys are like, yeah, come get my family, I'll go down for them, I will defend them to my last breath but sometimes it's the slow death of doing your laundry. It's the slow death of putting your dishes in the dishwasher. It's saying what I want to do right now is not nearly as important as putting my dirty plate into the sink and scrubbing it off. So the chunks aren't there after it's been sanitized in the dishwasher. Death does not always have to be in a blaze of glory. But love always comes at a surrender of yourself. It always does. Jesus says there's no greater love than that. It's the greatest picture of love to surrender from yourself to give to other people. That's the picture of love. As you're doing that, it's an evidence that you're abiding in the love of God and that the love of God is abiding in you, that it's remaining in you. Now, the question then would come up, Does that mean if I'm no longer abiding in Christ that I am no longer saved? That's one of these questions that comes out of this passage. Uh, I think that is a dangerous question for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, this passage does not address it directly. I think there's a danger of trying to take a passage further than it's intended to go. There's a real danger there. But danger number two is even if it does address that, if you're thinking that it maybe addresses that, it doesn't address it clearly. So it's not directly and it's not clearly addressing it. The best you can get out of this is, uh, the way I like to say it, the way I've heard other pastors say it is, I have full assurance of my salvation as I abide in Jesus Christ. And if I'm not abiding in Jesus Christ, where is my assurance? Did you actually lose your salvation or not? Don't ask me. It's just not clear there. But here's what I do know. If I want assurance of my salvation, I'm going to abide in Jesus Christ. That's where it's found. Whether or not it's taken away, if you're not abiding, all that stuff, that's all speculation. What's not speculation is as I abide in him, he abides in me. There is that clear connection there that that's where this hope comes from. And again, it's where this ideal in my mind comes from that I'm going to always give God the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to keep hanging on to him. Ray Comfort describes it this way. If your salvation is a parachute and your plane is going down, you're not letting go of that parachute. Well, let me tell you something. Your salvation is your parachute and this world is going down. Do not let go of your parachute. Don't let anybody take your parachute. Don't let any circumstance or situation in your life cause you to give up on the one thing that gives you hope. You cling to that. You hold to that with everything that you have because this world is going to be out to get you. Now, I want to clear up first verse 7, 8, and 16 before I explain what Jesus is about to switch to, persecution. So verse 7, 8, and 16, I'm going to read them together to see if that gives you a little bit more clarity. It did me. If you abide in me, that's Jesus, And my words, that's the words of Jesus, abide in you. So if you abide in Jesus and the words of Jesus abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, and that fruit, that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. So, some people would look at this and call it the Mercedes or the Cadillac passage, or in my case, uh, the uh, fully restored Ford Bronco passage. (laughs) This is where you get the stuff you want, right? Uh, This is, uh, I I was listening to uh, a Um, prosperity gospel preacher a while ago and he would say this is my time for my thing from my god like my goodness dude is any of this about him or is it all about you right like my time my thing my god give me give me give me give me he was just going to list off all the stuff and he's, he's telling stories about how I told God I wanted a Cadillac and now I got a Cadillac and I'm thinking yeah those thousands of people out there paid for your Cadillac because you pushed them to give more money to God in hopes that they might get a Cadillac, but there's not enough Cadillacs to go around because Cadillacs are attached to money. So the guy at the top of the pyramid scheme got a Cadillac, but all the other branches out there got nothing. <laughs> right? And that's how people look at this. I'm going to ask God, and He's going to give me whatever I ask for. Well, let's look at the details here, shall we? A well, detail number one. <laughs> First of all, you have to abide in Jesus Christ. Second of all, the word of Jesus Christ has to abide in you. And then third of all, and this is where it, it gets a little bit tricky, it describes the whatever you ask as fruit in verse 8 and verse 16. And we've already defined the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth, the fruit of good works, but nowhere did we find the fruit of Cadillacs and dollar signs and perfect health your entire life. Here's one thing I know for sure. Every prosperity gospel preacher got sick, and eventually will die. Every one of them. But can't they just ask for whatever they want? The evidence is in the their life. Every one of them. That doesn't remove the power of God to heal or to give you a Cadillac. It's His power. He can do whatever He wants with it. But here, Jesus is not talking to his apostles, telling them, this is your free pass to enlarge your bank account, to get your best life now, to allow yourself to have the chariot of your dreams. That's not what he's telling them here. He's about to die and hand over the keys of the kingdom to these 11 guys to spread the gospel throughout the world. And he tells them, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you're going to bear fruit. You can ask whatever you want and God's going to give it to you. But he calls that a fruit. And then there's the last piece of this. It glorifies God in verse 8. Wait, how does my Cadillac glorify God? Well, his preacher got to look good going down the road, doesn't he? (laughs) It's all about bringing glory to God. It all goes back to that primary purpose. The person who selfishly thinks that this is about them and what they can have, I think kind of misses the abide in Jesus, the word abiding in them, what real fruit is, and glorifying God. They're missing those things. But anyway, Jesus is is bringing to them this knowledge that they need to love one another, and I think it's important because they're going to be left in a world that hates them. Uh, Verse 18 says this, uh, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Hated me first. That's what Jesus says, I was first. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, have not, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else had done, which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus makes a promise now to the 11 remaining disciples. After he tells them to love one another, he reminds them, because the rest of the world's going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Those people in this world are here to destroy you. And now he makes this interesting contrast. It's really kind of neat, I think, in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 20, where he lists out both a positive and a negative. Now, Jesus has spent all of his time raising up disciples all throughout the land of Israel. There's uh, who knows how many people, maybe thousands of people that believe in Jesus at this point. There are some of those people who are actually keeping the word of Jesus Christ. So, yes, there is the world. They will hate you. But there are also those who believed in Jesus, who kept his word. And those people, he says to the 11 apostles here, in the same way they kept my word, they will keep your word. They're going to do the things you ask them to do because they're going to see you now as the one who's carrying on the kingdom of God. So there's this great identifier for them. How do we know which ones are going to kill us and which ones aren't? Well, it gets a separating line. It's Jesus. It's those who kept the words of Jesus and those who did not. The world, though, is going to hate you to persecute you. I always like to be cautious with this for a couple of reasons. Reason number one Most of us have suffered small persecution in comparison to the persecution that Jesus and his disciples received. Most of us receive a small amount of persecution in comparison to the persecution that some Christians experience in other parts of the world. There are still many places in the world today that for your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be imprisoned, beaten or killed. That still exists in the world today. Uh, The most recent uh, reports say that still the most number one persecuted people group in the entire planet, Christians. Still to this day, the number one persecuted people group in the entire planet, still to this day, is still Christians. The world's going to. They're just going to hate you. Now, some of us have become quite adept At living a godly life, but just quiet enough that we don't mess with anybody else's life. And so we don't receive as much persecution, but the day will come. Someday there's going to be a line you're going to say, now wait a second, you're asking me to cross a line that I can't cross. Well, why can't you do that? Jesus said not to. Seriously? You're going to let the invisible man in the sky that you read about in that fairy tale of a book tell you how to live your life. Someday it's going to happen. It's not going to happen every day because we still live in a a culture that to a certain extent accepts our existence. I would have said it differently maybe 10 years ago, but to a certain extent it at least accepts our existence. But more and more and more, even in our culture, we find ourselves at odds with the world where we proclaim what is the very clear understanding of the truth of God's Scripture, and we're going to be harassed for it. And potentially we're going to have job loss for it, fined for it, and who knows where else that will take us. That's because we live in a world that has no basis for truth. And they have no stomach for truth. You have to understand that the way that the rest of the world sees truth is they have a vote. And sometimes it's not even an official vote. It's just a general feeling of how the culture is going. This is true. Well, how do you know? Well, everybody believes it's true. Well, this is true. How do you know? 56% of the population voted that it was true. And so now we're supposed to go along with that in some way and say that truth somehow changed? right and wrong somehow changed if they can change they were never right or wrong they were just opinions or really half opinions not even well thought out opinions but we stand on a truth that is unchanging we will find ourselves in conflict we will increasingly so and when we do those who disagree will hate us and they will persecute now this happens specifically in the time of Jesus as a fulfillment of the scripture he he quotes to them psalm 35:19 they hated we, me uh, they hated me without cause i love how he calls it their law which i find interesting their law says i find that interesting but he it's this reminder there that there is going to be this hatred that happens in the world. But Jesus is not going to leave us alone. We have one another whom we love, and we also have in verse 26, the helper. When the helper comes, who will I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, the, The disciples, the apostles are not left alone. We are not left alone in the midst of a world that persecutes. We have one another, but we also have the Holy Spirit of God who testifies on his behalf and, oh, by the way, helps us to testify on his behalf. Now, chapter 16, we'll go into greater detail in that. We'll see a little bit more in chapter 17. Uh, Then when we get to chapter 20, it says that Jesus is going to breathe on his disciples. He's going to say, receive my Holy Spirit. There's going to be this kind of powerful thing that happens here. But understand, as we abide in Jesus Christ, as we remain in his love, we will begin to bear the same fruit in our life that he did. Now, that fruit is a lot of wonderful things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, goodness, righteousness, truthfulness, the works of God, and the hatred and persecution of the world. But we don't go it alone. We have one another, and one another is way bigger than 11 right now, in case you haven't noticed. There's still on planet Earth millions upon millions upon millions of believers in Jesus Christ. We are not alone in that. And every single one of us who has put their faith in Jesus Christ is now indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And as we abide in Him, He abides in us. As we remain in His love, we will love others in His way. But it all goes back to this idea of abiding in Jesus Christ. Now we could try to make the argument that that, uh, you can never be separated from the love of Jesus Christ. You certainly could. You can make this argument that there's nothing that you could ever do to separate yourself. There's no distance you could go. There's nothing God would ever do. But in this passage, what Jesus is telling them is not those things. He instead tells them that they have a responsibility to abide in him. It's partially their responsibility. That's what he's covering in this section of scripture, that each of us has a responsibility to abide, to remain, to stay, to persevere, to continue on, to not give up. It still just gives me chills because I think of that scene uh, in uh, Facing the Giants where the guy's doing the death crawl and he's got the bandana over his eyes and he's got a guy on his back and he's supposed to be just going a couple of yards and he's crying and the coach is on the side right next to him pounding the ground don't you quit don't give up on me don't give up don't you quit and this guy's i can't do it anymore i can't go anymore i can't go anymore he just don't you quit and he finally takes the blindfold off and the guy's crossed the finish line he's crossed the goal line jesus words to us don't give up don't give up don't quit remain continue stay in him It doesn't matter what the world does or says. It doesn't matter what happens to you, good or bad. None of those things change the faithfulness and love of our God, of our Father, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your steadfast love for us. Lord, my commitment, I pray, is also the commitment of everyone here today that we would not give up, that we would abide fully in you. Lord, I know that there are people hurting. Every time we gather together, there are people who have illness in their life or the life of somebody they love, that have financial difficulty. There are people who have broken and shattered relationships. Father, there are people that have been just hanging on by a thread. Lord, today, would you encourage them to keep on hanging on? Would you encourage them to abide in you and in your love? Father, would you allow your word to prune our hearts, to take away all of those things in us that don't bear fruit. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close in worship here, but as always, I'm going